This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Recording on Thursday, May 26th, 2022. I'm Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky. We are on the on the edge of summer, as as the song says. Uh, Memorial Day coming out, which by all accounts is the official beginning of summer. It's 64 and rainy here today in Portland. We didn't get much of a spring. Uh, it's going to rain all weekend, but next week it's going to be 83, 84. It's officially summertime, Rebecca. It probably it's already felt like summer in there in Virginia. Already, yeah, we've had some we blips. We've had some blips of summer. We are in 60 degrees and rainy, which is like appropriate for where I am spiritually today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to feel like summer on the inside. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the book sale season, we're all basically... By next Tuesday, most of the big summer books will have been out. I talked about Book Lovers by Emily Henry topping the trade paperback list this last week. Um, I want to talk about it again some more. I want to do some book sale stuff, some interesting stuff going on. Uh, But, you know, before we get that, I got listener feedback. Nothing is so short, but let's do our our first sponsor break, and then we'll come back real quick. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read, and I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer, always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical, and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. 
Uh, oh, you know what? Patreon shout out. So um, last week, our uh, Patreon special episode was Rebecca and I thinking about ideas for Patreon content. It's Patreon Inception is what we did. We had a, It was really fun, it was really actually. Fun. Um, and actually got really good comments that people would like just more of that. So thank you. I guess if you're subscribed to the Patreon, that's kind of what you wanted. Um, and so if you haven't listened to that already as a patron, go listen to it. I think you'll find it interesting. You can comment on that post to tell us what you think of the specific ideas. Um, but as part of that, we talked about we're going to bring some older formats back that we've done as regular episodes when we're trying to gin up something. But we're good enough at ginning up stuff now that we haven't gone back to it for a while. But the next Book Riot Patreon episode that we're going to record right after this episode and be available next week is Deals, 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 in which I cull from the fire hose of deals announcements, stuff I'm interested in, and then I subject Rebecca to them, I think is (laughs) kind of what's happening. (laughs) I don't know if subject me to it is the way I would describe it. I love this game. (laughs) Right. I I lay this S before you, as George Costanza, (laughs) and then we talk about, I pick them for various reasons, some of them because I think you'd be interested in them, things Mm -hmm. I'd be interested in them because they're notable or I want to talk about them. There's no real theme. We're just talking about books that have been announced. I haven't done it in a long time. It's been two years since we did a Deals, Deals, Deals it's episode. Been a, yeah, it's been a long time. I've been studiously avoiding Good. all the Deals announcements in Publishers Lunch for the last like month since I knew we were going to bring this right. back. So hopefully I'll be coming in fresh. I went back through March. So I went back to look oh, through wow, the last okay. three months and picked out the stuff there. And everything else is going to have to be assigned to the, I don't know. Whatever. Never going to get to it. But maybe if this is fun, we'll do this every six months or so as part of the Patreon thing. And then we can really hit some things. Um, (laughs) You know, there are a lot of books, Rebecca. And there are edge cases. A lot uh, of books, Jeff. There are just a lot. There's a lot. And, you know, for folks, if you're thinking about joining the Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash bookriotpodcast. You get this show early and ad-free every Friday. And then the bonus content on Tuesdays. Um, There were some great comments from Wheelhouse members about Mm. other ideas for bonus content. And some of those you're going to be seeing in the the pretty near future, actually. Um, So it's also kind of an opportunity to be part of how we make the content over there. But really fun. I had such a good time brainstorming all of that stuff with you last week. And it'll be fun to make it. I kind of want to make all the things we talked about. No, no duds, um, no skips, as they say. <laughs> How do we get to just industry. be full-time podcasters? You know, patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> it's not a bad plan. No, I've heard worse. I've had worse. Tried worse. Uh, all right. I want to talk book sales for a minute. The notable new release the week before last that we talked about was Emily Henry's Book Lovers, which chopped, topped the charts at 68,000 units sold in paperback. Rebecca, would you like to guess what the number is for week two for book lovers? 72,000. 36,000. Oh, it went down. Okay. What does that that mean? I mean, that's normally how this works. And I didn't know what TikTok would do, right? Does it? Yeah. Would it take a a week for the TikTok community, especially that have supported Emily Henry, one of the big winners in the TikTok community, has been... Emily Henry, because I think I would have guessed the same thing that it would have taken a week for people to like, oh, it's out. I'm going to go pick it up and see. But it went you the know. other way, which I'm not sure what to say about that. Maybe they had all pre-ordered it. If oh, you have if you have a bunch maybe. of pre-orders, your second week is going to go down a lot because all the pre-orders obviously hit on the first day that the book is mm-hmm. available for sale. Uh, that is interesting. Well, I mean, still good job, Emily Henry. And in, in, in today and Jeff is wrong. Um, <laughs> oh, my favorite. Rare. Get out your calendar. Get out your fountain pen. <laughs> Make sure it's because you don't get this very often. 
<laughs> I was we were talking about the we would call Emory Henry now chiclet, and we shouted out some of the doyons of, of the chiclet past. We don't call it anymore. We call it commercial fic- fiction now. I think, which is we probably should have called it then, but we all know what we're talking about here. And I was pontific. I wasn't. I was hypothesizing. Um, <laughs> pontificizing. About, yeah, about um, the lack of hype around some of the OG chiclet people, the Jody oh, Bacos, mm-hmm. the Jennifer Weiners, remember? Jennifer Weiner actually had a new book out last week, oh, it turns out, called okay. The Summer Place. And you get in hardcover fiction, I have no expectation. There's no stakes here, for real. What do you think <laughs> The Summer Place sold in week one? 72,000 copies? No, no, no. <laughs> no. no. Uh, 22. You're close, 15. You're within, okay. you know, a good 50%. Does that Does that refute... Or confirm or not enough data, my theory of there's just not as once you've had seven or eight of these, it's not as big of a deal anymore. I mean it's not sixty eight like it's Emily not sixty eight. Debuted at number two on the hardcover front list fiction list. Um but it's not on the other hand, it's not nothing. Stretch, yeah, it's yeah. not nothing. That's a thing. I guess interestingly, the number one title is twenty two seconds by James Patterson and yeah. somebody else. I, I guess we could know more about if it's something or nothing, or, or the degree of its somethingness, if we could see like first week sales for what I think of as like the prime Jennifer Weiner years, yeah. like the good in bed That's, in her shoes That's right. stretch and how these first week sales compare. I would bet this is meaningfully lower. Meaningfully lower. Yeah, for sure. I think that's that's a really good point. Um, let's see. I was going to give you... What do you think... So... 22,000 copies for Killing the Killers, another Bill. <laughs> Bill O'Reilly's just gone full Inception. I've, I've, fought, I've run out of people to kill from American history, so now we're going to kill the killers. <laughs> that was the number one nonfiction hardcover title with 22,000. Finding Me by Viola Davis at 20,000 mm, units. That's selling. That's getting great reviews. It is getting very good reviews. Atlas of the Heart, Holding It Firm, number five mm-hmm. on the hardcover frontlist fiction, 10,000 reviews. Um, sea of Tranquility. Holding it down, number 13, it's going to be selling four, four to 5,000 copies for a while now before it yep. falls out. The Sarah J. Moss we talked about, mm-hmm. I think we were both surprised how little it sold initially, continues to show up. It's number 19 on the hardcover front list fiction title right now. On the trade paperback front list, it's uh, Book Lovers, then Colleen Hoover, then some manga, then some Colleen Hoover, then People We Made on Vacation by Emily Henry with 11,000. <laughs> it's amazing. Maybe. Emily Henry and Colleen Hoover are the same person, and these are just like different pseudonyms. Or it's like how th- it was like three people were Carol and Keen writing Nancy Drew. Are they all just? Is this like a Voltron of TikTok yeah. power? The number. So I'm going to give you the full ten top ten overall titles in print last week, but I'm not going to give you number one because I'm going to make you guess <laughs> it. Number two, Book Lovers. Okay. Number three, it ends with us, twenty eight thousand. Number four, uh, on purpose, Cat Kid Comic Club. Number three. Number mm-hmm. five, where the crawdads sing. Boy, I'm really getting despondent here. Killing the Killers by Bill O'Reilly and somebody else. Verity by Colleen Hoover. Uh, Taylor Jenkins Reid's debut novel, The Seven <laughs> Husbands of Eleven Hugo, number eight, with 21,000 copies. Finding Me by Viola Davis was 20,000 copies. And 22 Seconds by James Patterson with 20,000 copies. Copies. Rebecca, what was the best-selling book last week? You can figure of this all, out. Is all this books. of all formats? All formats. It's... Oh, the places you'll go. There you go, Rebecca. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. 44,000 I'm not copies. new here. You're not new. Thank you very much. I appreciate that you got that. So, even TikTok. Can I did have a momentary, like, 
blank of like I just forgot every book I have ever heard of. And then you Dr. Gotta, Seuss appeared before. It's me. called Base Rate, right? You're Bayesian prior. <laughs> yeah. We're in May. Yeah. It's oh the places. <laughs> Gotta you be know. Dr. Seuss. It's so, Dr. Seuss from now until like August at least. Okay, one more thing from Book Sales Land. I was in Pals yesterday. This is my want. I like to go on Tuesdays or Wednesday, look around, see what's new, see what I've missed. And um, I brought this feature to you before. I'm going to bring it back to you again because there was a new number one title for okay. you know the shelf for Pals bestsellers. I don't think... I've never heard of this book. Oh, well, then I'm screwed, Jeff. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how to make this interesting. <laughs> 20 questions about a thing I'm probably but if, not I don't even... Guess. You don't know the title of the book. <laughs> So the Do book you is think a I've winter's, heard of this book? I don't think so. It's Europa Editions. It's A Winter's Probably Promise not. by someone named Christelle Dabos, which is I book one think... in a trilogy of fantasy books translated from French. So I was I like, that is a TikTok. Book. It has to be a TikTok thing. It has, has to, to be. be, right? I was, I was, I would never have gotten there. I could have had 200 questions. Have you even heard of it? A Winter's Promise? No. Mm-mm. And so I looked up. Um, it's it, it's not in any of these. It's it, notably it's not in any of the top ten I just mentioned to you. I looked on Amazon to see does it show up in the top ten fiction sellers from last week. It is not there either. I did a little bit of um, uh, trying to you know Steve Buscemi myself into TikTok and looking around. There are <laughs> Hello, there's like kids. several million views over the last couple of years, but I didn't I didn't I don't know oh. why this week now. So if anyone of you out there knows if you read the book, I did sit there and read the first chapter. I kind of get it, I have to say, okay. if you're looking for fantasy read-alikes, um, and it's a series. Uh, but I thought that was really interesting, and that Powell's was my indicator there. Powell's, to yeah. this point, had been a la- lagging indicator for me, so I'm not sure what that really represents. So interesting Love to, to see, see Europa Editions get some oh. TikTok juice. That's very was, exciting. That's got to be exciting the, for them. Oh, my God. Uh, and then, so we got Cohen winning the 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 Pulitzer from NYRB, mm-hmm. and we've got Europa pulling out of the mm-hmm. bag for this particular title. So um, things change; things do change. So those are my book sales questions. Uh, any other questions? Any other thoughts about book sales? The, the night, I guess, Book of Night was one of my draft picks. The huge print run. Um, it's fallen down. It the was not. It was quickly. my draft pick. I took it in the first round. It was your draft pick, and you did so poorly with it because it's really <laughs> falling down right now. Last week, number three. This week, number six. Less than 10,000 copies. I don't think that book's going to earn out. Yeah, I don't think it was saw. wise to take it in the first round. I read it, and I told you last time that Ain't For mm-hmm. Me continued yeah. to be the case for me um, at that point. So, well, listener you win feedback. win some, you lose some. <laughs> yeah, win some, you lose some. Listener feedback. Um, let's see, a couple different things here. Little Birdie. Ooh. Apparently, in the Barnes and Noble system, um, both genderqueer and the Sarah J. Moss book, Court of Thorns and Roses, Roses and Thorns, they're both coded as adult and therefore are shoved are shelved in adult sections. So all this stuff about suing them because they're being marketed to kids is garbage. We knew it was garbage. We just mm-hmm. didn't know what kind of garbage it was. So there's one. Um, for you there. Thank you so much, Little Birdie, for that. Someone who works at Barnes & Noble kindly shared that with us. Um, Another piece of feedback, um, this is Megan emailed to say, the obscenity charge against um, books, especially kids' books, is not new for anti-LGBT things. I I should say, I know it's not new. I mean, I have more, Mm -hmm. a little more, I mean, it goes back to at least as early as um, lawsuits against Allen Ginsberg's Howell for depictions of sodomy um, in um, 1948, 49. But for kids' like books? No, no. I mean, 
obscenity and LGBTQ. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like this is a, it, this is a okay. way of protesting LGBTQ yes. representation. Yeah. Um, at least as mm-hmm. early as Howell and probably before then. So yeah. in kids' books, it's been around for a little while longer as well. Um, and but, I think the difference here, this is new adult, right? Remember, and, that we're talking new adult, not even kids' books here. But thank you. There is context. This is not something new under the sun. Yeah, it is important the, to say this is a long story. The tactic of suing the retailer yes. rather than the publisher producing yeah. the material, this may not be the first instance of it. It's the first instance I've seen of that tactic. Yeah, weirdly, Howl was published by a bookstore, City Lights Book, so I guess oh. technically that could be both, could, both uh, but uh, a little happenstance there. But it's not something we've seen in a while, but yes, saying that gay people are obscene is a, is a thing right, and has right, been yes. a thing in the anti-LBGQ bigoted playbook for a while. It's good to remember that this is an ongoing struggle. So, Megan, thank you for reminding me, and I did want to give some more context there. Yes, thank you, Megan. Um. I guess that does all the listener feedback for now. In in news, my home bookstore, The Raven in Lawrence, Kansas, was awarded mm-hmm. Publishers Weekly's Bookstore of the Year. Okay. Yeah, it's great. Good for I mean, I don't <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations to them. Um I guess notably The Raven has stood out from many, many good independent bookstores. Because Danny Kane, one of the co-owners, wrote a little pamphlet that is on the shelf at Powell's called How to Resist Amazon and Why. Um, mm-hmm. That's made a bit of a wave um, and codifies and collects a lot of the arguments against Amazon and has really stood out there. Um, I was in Kansas uh, recently, a couple weeks ago, and I walked by the Raven. And I thought to myself, it, it just moved to a new location in Lawrence from uh, – I, I guess mm. I'm telling all the people, like the four people maybe that have ever been to Lawrence <laughs> that's listening to the show, you being one of them and I being two. Yep. The second, it moved to a new location. It is now to me very quite possibly the platonic ideal of an independent bookstore. I have Just a where very important question. Yes. Do they serve coffee? Rebecca, don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. Please continue then. Tell me about the platonic But it idea. has... It's a college town. It's on the main street. It's in this old stone building. It's got hardwood floors. I don't even know what you call that, where it said on the window, it has that gold, old-timey lettering with like the black trim around it that looks like it could be a barber shop in Tombstone, Arizona in 1884. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm, I do. You know, and they have exactly the kind of books you feel like. You know, it's playing old jazz records in there. It's got the kind of books you would expect. In a lot of ways, I think it's a platonic ideal, and not always in a good way, of an independent bookstore. Congratulations, them! I love the Raven. They've got good merch. The next time you're there, go go hang out. Very important to me growing up. Um, still, probably the bookstore I feel the most at home in, even in the new mm. location. I can still feel the vibe. Um, maybe the old Borders that was in Lawrence is probably where I spent the most time, but that's no yeah. longer there. But of extant bookstores. So I had an idea for you, real quick. Okay. You get to pick five features of an independent oh. bookstore. Of all the possible things an independent bookstore can be, you get five mm-hmm. features. What are you selecting? I'm with you on the coffee. These are it in no particular order. It has, has to, to have, have coffee. coffee. I also, oh, good light. It needs good light. Like if really you're in a southern light. exposure and big windows, yes. good yep. like good warm light. I don't like don't hit me with the Barnes and Noble industrial yes. overhead situation good like buttery nice light mm-hmm. um 
I want to see big comfy chairs. Yes. I'm probably now not going to sit in Thank one. Thank you very much. Yes. yes. Yeah. I'm probably not going to sit in one, but I want to like know that I could. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally <laughs> big, with you. chairs. Uh, let's see. My personal platonic ideal involves like a friendly dog is loping around. You need an a-, a dog, not a cat. But I, I dog, will not allow a- an animal, a bookstore okay. animal. You can get both. Great. You don't have to choose okay. one or the other. I'm allergic to cats, so I will take a bookstore dog. Oh, so you dog. need a dog. Yeah. Parrot would work. <laughs> I, whatever. I want a bookstore dog. Mm-hmm. But yeah, animal friendly. Yeah. Um, and a, I want to feel like I can talk to the staff and get a good recommendation. But? And they're not going to be judgy. Yes. Thank you. And they'll That's, leave you alone. Five. I want to put that in there. Yes. Leave okay. me alone if I want to be left alone. But if I ask you, like, here's what I like. Actually, this is one of my favorite things to do if I actually go into a bookstore when mm. I'm traveling. Because as we have established over the years, I think you and I are both kind of in a, usually in a place of like we've been in bookstores. Well, so, that's part of it, right? Yeah. You yeah. Know. So when, I, when I'm traveling, I don't often have like bookstore destinations unless it's really special. But if I'm traveling and I need a book, I like to do the like, hey, here's what I'm into. What do you recommend? Or sometimes just like, what are you into lately that you're hand selling the crap out of? And I'll buy that if it sounds good. And I want to just feel like I can have a good interaction with the bookseller. It's going to give me something that I probably wouldn't find on the new and notable table at Barnes and Noble. Um, Or maybe even something that like a friend isn't going to recommend to me. Yeah. And they'll leave me alone if I want to be left alone. But it needs to feel, I guess, welcoming is the overall. Like It needs to feel welcoming and warm. Mm -hmm. And like they're there to help me find a book, but not to try to make me read certain things or or to upsell me. Yep. I'll add a couple of things, and I don't know. If I have to pick five, it gets tr- tricky. That's why it becomes fun. Well, you fun. made me pick five. <laughs> well, I'm going to say two. Some of the things on your list, but I'm going to add other features you haven't considered, maybe, and then you can okay. tell me if they um, outrank anything you've picked. I want it to be in a pleasantly walkable location. Like, mm. I'm there. It's part of a day where I'm walking around. Okay, that's a thing so you're having, like, a whole experience. A whole experience, yeah. That's another I thing like I would that. consider. I need hardwood floors. I don't mm. know what to tell you. It's kind of part of the welcoming thing. My platonic ideal has hardwood floors. Now, does okay. it trump some of the other things? I probably want there to be chairs, but I use the floors no matter what's happening. I would like them to be hardwood. I would By like virtue there, of gravity. I would like there to be playing the Great American Songbook in the okay. background at all times. You know, that's something that's going on there. I don't need your rock. Your cl- classical is too stuffy. Rock is too modern. You know, you Ellen Louie again. Ella. That's yep. what we're looking at. That's what we're looking okay. for here. I would like there to be good merch. I want a t-shirt. I want a tote bag. Mm. I want mm-hmm. a coffee. I need to be able to that. I would like a membership program of some kind. If I'm paying full freight, can you give me the punch card for 10 bucks off after ever I spend $75? The original Raven did that. I don't know if the, the current one still does, but it really did help me get my head around buying books at the Raven versus getting them for 40% off on Amazon, mm-hmm. which especially when you're a college student, um, very difficult to do. Uh, that's another one. I need handwritten shelf talkers, at least some of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. I prefer that to a knowledgeable staff. I will read the shelf talkers every time in there. I may or may not engage with the staff. Does that make sense? It's kind of weird. That's yeah, my own personality. Yeah. I'm thinking back. I've had good experiences just picking stuff based on shelf talkers, too. I'm not always going to ask somebody for a recommendation. Yeah. The vibe has to be right. And somehow I need there to be things displayed that I have not seen that I'm interested in. Because mm-hmm. if you're not doing that, what am I doing? So those are my other additions to the wrinkle, to my platonic ideal of the I like that. I don't know if any of them trump any of the things Mm. on my list. I'm also open to like a lovely concrete floor. I like a kind of industrial moment. Poured concrete. Poured and polished concrete. Mm -hmm. Poured and polished concrete. 
the great american songbook near and dear to my heart but i'm uh, i like a vibe so like whatever the vibe is if i don't maybe not like loud punk or i love loud punk but not in a bookstore but like i'm open to other things in a bookstore i think Mm -hmm. um i love i I do like the shelf talkers i don't know if i I don't know if i would give up the comfy chairs for the you give up would you give up the dog for the shelf talkers Mm. don't make me give up the dog for anything you've got five I spots I, was... I don't make the rules well wait i do know, make the rules you do the rules <laughs> somehow five. we've agreed it's, not, to it's that. only interesting if it's hard show title <laughs> i might actually give up the chairs because i like the also the mood yeah. that the big comfy chair creates but i'm not gonna sit in them and i am gonna use a shelf talker so i maybe if i can I, i'm gonna cheat because i didn't get to make the rules so okay. i'm gonna make the chairs and the shelf talkers are a tie a tie. Um, one thing I didn't think of that's super important to me, and I don't mean to do TMI here, but I need a bathroom. We need to have mm. a public accessible bathroom mm-hmm. in a bookstore if I'm going to spend any time. And if, especially if I'm drinking coffee in a chair, I'm going to need a bathroom here uh, before too long. <laughs> and you have your whole day. You got to go walk around. That's, I got to go walk, right? I got to go walk. It's so nice out because it has to be sunny all the time too. Actually, or it's rainy. Either one is fine. <laughs> So congratulations to Raven. I don't know. There's not much here about what makes it versus some other bookstore. I, th- I think the thing that really got to them is the public advocacy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, from a particular patron's point of view, it's a really good bookstore. It really yeah, is. It's a, it's it's a, a really good bookstore. bookstore. Um, so there's that. Where do we want to go next? You know, let's do another sponsor. Then we'll come back. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased increasingly more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eilin for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at 
everyday anxieties and low threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to WW Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. All right. Um, you did a wreck. Recent news. Let's do this quickly because I don't yeah, want to spend too do much time quickly. on it. Not really our jam, but we want to get a little of this in here. Yeah, I did just want to recommend... I was thinking about this after Buffalo, and then, of course, we had the shooting in Texas earlier this week. Um, The Second, Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America by Carol Anderson. Uh, She wrote White Rage as well. It's about the Second Amendment. She's a Black scholar, and it is particularly about how the Second Amendment has been shaped and interpreted to have the impact of unequal rights for people of color, particularly Black people. So it's more applicable in the reading and thinking about what's going on in American culture and politics around guns to the relative to the Buffalo uh, incident. But I think if you are thinking about these issues and struggling with these issues and balancing rights of the Second Amendment with rights to just be a person who stays alive, um, reading really grounded scholarship about it was helpful to me. I read this last year. I didn't see it get as much attention as I thought it should have. Not an exciting book to read, but um, especially to read scholars of color on issues that disproportionately negatively impact communities of color, I think is really important. So it's like this is one of those moments where it feels like what else can we possibly do besides voting for the Mm. people and holding our representatives accountable in whatever ways that we can to try to make some kind of change possible and learning a little bit more, thinking about it in a slightly different way, having a really educated, sharp voice um, giving me perspective on it, you know, to learn something more made me feel like I was doing my job as a citizen just a little bit more when I read this. And so I Mm -hmm. wanted to share that with our listeners. Yeah. I'm not going to dwell on this. It was tough for us all tough for me. I'm thinking about all of the people in Texas and elsewhere. Um, share everyone's frustrations and mm-hmm. fury at the same time. Yeah. Um, let's play a game of is it something or nothing? <laughs> Amazon's book club called Sarah Selects, named after Amazon's editorial director for books, Sarah Gelman. This is in Publishers Weekly, uh, again bylined by the estimable Jim Milliot, who we often reference because he covers the beat very well. Over there, it's a Amazon book club. You can get a pick. You can submit emails and questions to Sarah Gelman, who has been the uh, editorial director. What's her title over there? Say, editorial director for books. Yeah, same diff. Um, and she's going to do a live stream discussion of it. She's going to have an interview. The first pick is Half Blown Rose by Lisa Cross-Smith, which is coming out by May, on May 31st, getting out ahead of the curve a little bit here. I don't know. Maybe you can hear by my labored breathing what am I think of this, Rebecca. I'm not sure I'm doing a great poker poker mouth or whatever I'm supposed to do, but something or nothing, Amazon Book Club, Sarah Selects. I think that this is a signal to me that we have reached peak book club and then maybe we're going down the other side Say of the hill. Like the, the big book club sort of moves started, I mean, Oprah 
Mm-hmm. And then I guess, I guess post Oprah, we've had a slew of celebrity ones. Reese is the biggest one. And I, yep. I think Jenna Bush Hager is the next biggest one. These are the three that I know of that have stickers for themselves. Oprah. Today, what's the Today Show book club? Is that Jenna Bush Hager or is that something different? Uh, that, yeah, that is Jenna Bush Hager. Okay. Um, I think. Yeah. Read with Jenna is what they call it. So yeah, I think Oprah, Reese, and today Jenna are the big ones. They have their own stickers. It seems to me that people, some people do get their book recommendations that way and read along with it. But then like everybody has had a book club Mm -hmm. since then and literati built or has attempted to build. I don't know. We haven't seen how they're doing right now. Great idea. Great, great. So some kind of business on so-and-so's book club, like, Amazon has a billion ways to surface titles to readers, and this is just one more. Uh, no one knows Sarah Gelman, I don't think, like mm-hmm. your average rank and file reader. So I guess maybe if you land at the Amazon Books homepage and you're looking for something to buy and they're like, here is Amazon's book club book of the month, like one more avenue of discoverability. I just don't think it's one that any reader particularly needs (laughs) Mm. and it's not about amazon it's just like you get a little you got really something meaningful from knowing that oprah recommended a book because you know what oprah is about if you're a devoted reese witherspoon fan or you follow her work in hello sunshine you know what reese is about if you watch the today show all the time you probably know what jenna bush hager is about but like we uh, the average reader doesn't know anything about Sarah Gelman or what she's about or what kind of books she's going to like. So it's like, here's a random person's favorite book of the month. Like, what is that supposed to do? What 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 reader problem does this solve? What service does it provide? I think I understand why everybody under the sun, every, com- every company under the sun has tried, you know, here's our book club. Apple is doing that one with the Canadian person that, that we hadn't heard mm-hmm. of before. Um it feels late. Like, how did y'all not start launching these book clubs in 2018? Um, I don't I don't know. Like, I don't think it's anything, as I was saying, particularly about like, that it's a bad idea for Amazon to have one just this feels like we're running out the end of the trend. Like, if everybody can have a book club, no book club is special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and no one knows who Sarah is. Right. I'm sorry, Sarah. Actually, I think Amazon Sarah does has a really to good know that. Yeah, Sarah has to know that. Amazon does a really good job with their monthly picks. I look at that routinely for ideas, especially because they go multiple genres. If you're looking at Reese's or Oprah's or Jenna Bush's, I think they pick interesting books a lot of the time, but it's one book. And if, unless you're interested in that genre or in the mood for whatever's going on there, that's your one book. I think even what the power of the biggest clubs, What is what is the power anymore? Like, for a while there, we were getting articles in The New Yorker about how like Reese was moving thousands of units every week and like it was a thing. The Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams was the the um, number was um, the May 3, 2022 pick out in paperback, right? Mm-hmm. In May for Reese. It's not in the top 20 trade paperback front list picks right yeah. now. It just isn't. It's it, there I think they're all so diluted. I'm and wrong. I'm sorry. Inner correction. It's it's number fourteen. So okay, okay, I stand corrected. I stand corrected. Real time. Yeah, problems. but having having all these players in the space dilutes the impact of any one mm-hmm. of them. Doing it over time, I think, dilutes the impact of them. All of them are going to regress to the mean. <laughs> it's just what happens. 
over time you're gonna have a few big hits and are they a big hit because Reese picked it or because it was a book that was going to be a big hit anyway and Reese is on the train who knows but it just doesn't feel to me like a thing Amazon needs especially because as you were saying and I wholeheartedly agree they do a great job with the monthly selections and the end of the year editors picks that are they are diverse in terms of genre and the representation of authors and types of stories and the backgrounds of people Mm -hmm. that they're trying to tell like someone is paying intentional attention to that at Amazon. I suspect that Sarah Gelman is leading that charge now, given that she's the editorial director. Um, I just don't know what Amazon is going to get from this. I don't think readers are going to get anything from it. It just feels like a stale headline at this point. It's nothing. My guess would be the idea is something along these lines is the role of the influencer and put that anywhere you want is now ascendant over the retailer. And Amazon for a long time, as long as we've been doing this and longer, has had the cloud of the platform to swing around. And now there's other retailers doing stuff. And the way people find out and buy a bunch of books is not just I go to Amazon and poke around or go to Goodreads and poke around. Those are still important ways people find things. But in terms of moving a lot of freight behind the new release and being relevant, that's not the thing anymore. It, it just isn't. And so this is a, I don't think this is going to work. I, it's, I think it's very hard to build someone's influence just as a unknown quantity. I mean, I think the thing that's important to remember about the big time, I would I would say now traditional influencers, Reese, Oprah, Jenna, they're other people first and book recommenders second. Like yes. they're leveraging their halo effect of something else and redirecting some of that energy and attention to, boy, I've got all this clout. If 5% of my social media followers, you know, join my book club on Instagram, that's still a lot of people. 5% of a mm-hmm. lot of people is still a lot of people. It's hard to go the other way. Yeah, This is not something we've to, seen. If this, like in the chicken egg situation, the yes. influence has to come before the book club. That's the right. people have to have the parasocial relationship with mm-hmm. the celebrity or celebrity-shaped person before they care about their opinion you know and and i think that it i think that this doesn't quite give consumers enough credit to think like well we'll put and i don't know if this is what amazon is thinking but i'm imagining something like we're gonna we'll we'll put amazon book club we'll put a real face on it it'll be this real person selections maybe people will then trust this person to buy this book like first of all amazon doesn't need to prove that it can move units about Mm -hmm. anything People know to go there and buy books and publishers value that relationship for a variety of reasons. So I think like why is Amazon even trying to step into influencer type space is an interesting question, but it misunderstands how the influencer relationship works and that the consumer has to feel connected to and trust the person making the recommendations Mm. if in fact the decision to purchase is based on the fact that this person recommended it and not just like I was poking around at Amazon and this thing is called Amazon's book club and I picked it that way. Um, My other thought here is that rather than thinking that this alone will move units like Dictionary of Lost Words, it's not going to move as much as Reese. It's just not going to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. This is Actually, now that I look at this, 8,000 books for this title is pretty good. Um, last week after it's been on paperback for three weeks. Actually kind of shockingly good now that I look at it. I, I, heard, of this, I heard this book was really good too. Anyway, lo- going back to the, the topic at hand, the other thought might be that they also see that the new influencer, the new big influencer is the TikTok social video crowd and it's crowdsourced influence. And even if you yourself cannot be, can make a book by yourself, 
you need to have some reason that your thing might get picked out of the hurricane, right? And this is a way of saying someone's going to see this and take it seriously. And maybe that's the equivalent of like, there's a, there's a chance it gets picked up. It's not going to guarantee, but it gets your name and this club and this book out there in a way that just being one of the 14 picks for best fiction, fiction of the month that Amazon has currently done hasn't. This is really, this is the book. How are they going to, is it going to show up in banners? Are people going to get in emails? Like how much are they going to push this book in this thing? Is this a way of being able to put a special stamp on something? It doesn't even matter what the stamp is, just that there is a special stamp here. But I think it's really interesting to see how this is going to play out. I wonder too if they're make maybe we can create a little bit of, uh, a penumbra of influence around someone that's picking our books anyway. This is something we hear all the time from publishers. Um, this is a little behind the curtains. They want to get in front of book clubs, Rebecca. They mm-hmm. want to they buy do. to get in front of book clubs. Is this paid? Is there a co-op thing? Might they be thinking about that in the future? Is this a place where other book clubs are going to go pick it? Because maybe that's what they're thinking about here. Maybe they're thinking about some of their kind of like seed corn rather than this is the harvest. That's the well, only thing that makes may- any sense to me. Maybe so. And in the process of reading about this, the most interesting thing that I learned is that Amazon already has a subsite called yeah. Amazon Book Clubs that yep. is a, a free service where you can either join a book club of all kinds of genres or you can create your own book club and other people can join you there. So Amazon is doing that thing of, you know, kind of aggregating the attention that book clubs have and providing a space for them to do things on site. I also had the question of, is this paid? Will it be paid in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, is there, I guess, most readers are probably not as skeptical about placement type things as we are because we have a lot more exposure being in the industry. But um, yeah, I think there's, let me, I don't, likelihood, there's reason for consumers to wonder about the, I guess, authenticity of a recommendation from Amazon mm-hmm. in a way that because Amazon like makes something makes money right. when you buy their recommendation in a way that Oprah and Jenna don't unless they've been secretly getting cuts and there's going to be a giant expose about it Ooh. which I we I, heard something I on a listening it. tour that I'm going to bring up here because it, it's relevant oh. and I, I, I mm-hmm. think you were on this call we were talking to publisher X uh, of kids books and I didn't know this though I should have thought about it before is that for like the Caldecott and Newberries. Oh if yes, you want to put that sticker on your book, it costs you a few cents. You got to you got to pony up to the thing. It's not just with <laughs> yeah. a sticker, but there's a little I don't know what you call that, advertising co-op situation. Do you mm-hmm. think Reese and Oprah and the Today show maybe have a similar scam going? It's possible. It has oh, to be. It's at least possible maybe. now that we know this is a thing. Maybe. Yeah. You have to, you're licensing I, even you're even licensing just their logo mm-hmm. somehow? It's like you don't have to you, We'll select the winners authentically yes. for the Newberry and Caldecott, but if you want to slap our sticker on it, you're going to have to pay. Um, yeah. I guess there's a chance if, like, if Oprah and Reese knew that that was a possibility, mm-hmm. you could make some bones by. And does the Pulitzer and the in the in the National Book Award also do something yeah. similar? I I'm wouldn't begrudge it this... actually. Honestly, I don't I wouldn't begrudge, begrudge it either. If they would either. And they help sell books, so getting a little cut of it kind of makes yeah. some sense to me. But I'm glad you brought this back up because I remember being like, "Oh, that is juicy, oh, and I want to learn more about it." Yeah, because <laughs> they move units. Have some, they move. Yeah, we probably they have do. some little birdies. So if if anybody listening oh, yeah. knows if a publisher has to pay to put on that Oprah sticker or Reese sticker or like a Pulitzer winner sticker, please let us know at podcast at bookriot.com. Okay. 
Um, I think we can go right to Frontless Foyer. Are you I ready? Or is there can. something else you mm-hmm. wanted to hit? Let's do it. Okay, so Rebecca, talk to me about... Um, I put myself out there with Post Traumatic by Chantel Johnson. I put myself out there. I was very vulnerable. I'm picking something that I hadn't heard anyone really talking about. Um, it's a complicated book. It's not an easy read. It's a debut author. Rebecca, I, I'm, I'm, I'm girding myself here, but was I right? Was I wrong? You, you finished it over the weekend. What was your experience of post-traumatic like? I had a great experience with it. Um, I think that it was like that would have been a spot on recommendation if you had just like texted me that you were reading this thing mm. and you thought I would find it really interesting. I think it's a really hard book to recommend. And I am, I guess when you were talking about it, you were like, I saw, you know, a great review of it in Publishers Weekly. I haven't seen any other press around it. Curious about why this book is so great and nobody's talking about it. Um, my, it, it's comp. It's a really complex book, and I guess for folks who didn't get to hear you talk about it or mm. don't remember, like it's about a um, sort of young black woman who works as an attorney in a mental hospital. She her job is trying to get people who have been committed freed. Um, she represents them and tries to argue to. She advocates for them that they shouldn't actually be um, kept against their will in this hospital. She has had a lot of traumatic experiences, both by virtue of having been a young black woman, but also um, childhood sexual abuse and has experienced physical assault. And she has post-traumatic symptoms from those in a, in a variety of ways. And we're just in her head mm-hmm. for you know about 300 pages um, in a way that's really raw and like so it's really raw and very honest. And I thought I thought it was very brave for a writer to like let a character say and show aspects of their internal life that even in fiction where we get really up close to people's internal lives, there's stuff that we filter out. Or like even when you tell your best friends things that you were thinking, you filter out like the the deepest level of it often. There's just, you know, we all have like thoughts that you're just never going to tell somebody else that you had. And you know at the moment, oh, that's bad. I shouldn't yeah, think you, that. Right. right? You yeah. know as you're thinking it, like this is a sign of something or this thing, this worry that I'm having that's not real. Um, and she vocalized, the character kind of vocalizes all those onto the page um, as she's reckoning with them. I, I think it probably made the public, I thought it was brave of, it's a Hachette imprints title. Yeah. Um, and I thought it's a brave book to publish because this character gets to say all kinds of things. She gets to really be a mess um, at mm. moments. She has some messy relationships. Um, she's funny about the traumatic experiences that she has had in a way that can be, I think it's dangerous. It's like, it's risque. Yes. It makes people uncomfortable for someone who's like been a victim of abuse to then tell jokes about it. Um, but she does that with a best friend in the story who has also been a victim of those things. And it's clearly a coping mechanism, but also a way of intellectualizing the experiences that they've had. Um, I thought it was really, really sharp and probably made the publisher very nervous. <laughs> I was just like, this is very brave mm-hmm. to have published. I'm glad it exists in the world. And I, having read it, I 100% get why there was not a giant marketing push to try to get a bunch of people. Well, that's fair. To marketing, read that I book. guess. Yeah, this, yeah. I yeah this about feels the to me piece. like 
the kind of book that you have to like handpick who you recommend it to, mm. um, to know that they can sort of hang with the difficulty of the subject matter and that they will appreciate that kind of voice. It's just not for everybody. So no. I get why, you know, if you're going to spend a jillion dollars marketing something, you have to feel like this is for a lot of people. Um, but I, I really liked it. It makes me like, I will be looking out for whatever Chantal V. Johnson does next i was really impressed and like a hell of a debut oh my god yeah <laughs> just it's like, it's all the guns blazing unbelievable and i said last time that it's you know in a way you can think of it as like a holden caulfield for the moment right because it's inside and uncomfortable and looking and thinking internally and i hadn't thought about this at the time you know of course the the title of that book is catcher in the rye and the famous name there is wanting to catch kids before they run off a cliff Post-traumatic is like what about the ones that went over <laughs> yeah yeah what, what do you do with the ones that are down there and broken and I think that's another way, because as we see, um, there's a lot of pain and violence and experience out there. It's not an easy book by any stretch of the imagination. It is not a Swiss Army recommendation. No. Um, but also, that's not what I read for, or not only right. what I read for. And what I'm thinking about reading on the edge of what I'm looking for, especially when it comes to art writing, I think this is what I'm, I'm looking for stuff like this. This is what I'm looking for. This is the kind mm-hmm. of book I want all those James Patterson books to subsidize. I would guess yes. that the agent and author uh, or the not the agent and editor and the acquirer at Hachette was like, I don't know what this is going to do, but I really want this book to be out in the world and I want to make sure that we use whatever we can. And it's the kind of thing um, I'm glad to see. And it, all the trigger warnings, it could be called trigger warning. Yeah, all um, of them. It really could. All, even with someone without any of these experiences, really, parts of it were very, very difficult to read. You are not going to agree with all this woman's, this character's choices. Mm-mm. Many of them are probably objectively wrong. That is not the point, I don't think, right. is to go in there and, mm-hmm. and start judging about what people are doing right or wrong. Um, I'm glad I'm glad you experienced it like I did. It's the kind of thing I would put up for best book of the year, because I don't look for Swiss Army recommendations. I'm looking for stuff like yeah, this. This is I what think I'm looking for. It feels like it breaks new ground, and that's yes. the thing that I'm after in my reading life, of something that I haven't felt before, something that I haven't read before or experienced or thought about in a particular way, mm-hmm. a voice I haven't heard before. And someone, a, a, an author who's willing to make me uncomfortable for a good reason, not just uncomfortable for uncomfortable's sake. That's not yep. art, but right. uncomfortable <laughs> for in, in the service of thinking about what the experience of a person who has gone through those things must be like this is I think the kind of book that we're really talking about when we talk about fiction's ability to build empathy I'm never going to live in the body of a black woman I'm never going to know what it is to have experienced the world in the way that this character does or in the way that that author has experienced the world and whatever of her experience she brought to the writing of the book and we don't know that you don't know Mm -hmm. how much of it is auto fiction or not I have, I now have like additional things in my brain, additional thoughts, additional ways of considering what someone else's experience might be like um, that I didn't have 300 pages ago. And I think every time we have a reading experience like that, we're, you know, we're strengthening that muscle. This is not the reason that people should write books like this. It's not pour your trauma out on the page Mm -hmm. so someone else can have empathy. I think this is a reason to read books like this. Yep. And for it's one of the functions of my reading life, for sure. So I'm really glad that I, I'm really glad you mentioned it on the show. I'll be curious if anybody picks it up. I've been thinking about like, who do you recommend this to? Um, you need an explorer's mind when it comes to reading. You do you need that kind of I'm yeah. not gonna recommend it to my dad. My dad's a really good reader. Um, 
and he wouldn't hate this, but I'm not sure he'd get the experience. He's not looking for the same kind of thing I am a lot of the time. And yeah, I don't look I, for this all the time either, I should say. but Yeah, you couldn't do a full diet of this. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you're a reader that read and could hold Roxanne Gay's Untamed State when that yeah. came out, that's a good yeah. comp. Um, maybe some of the stuff in A Little Life, if that felt, if, if you feel like you could do that, this won't be too much. Mm. Um, and I want to say, I think it's okay if it is too much. I think yep. it's okay if this is not a book that you want to read because it's, uh, it might be too close. It might just be too much at the moment. You might just not be interested and that's okay. There are plenty of other books that we can, that we can read that build empathy and expand our lenses on the world. But to think about who it is for, I think it's that kind of, it's, it's just that kind of book. It's going to push you in some ways. Um, and I, I'm really grateful for it. I guess the other thing, too, is I know you've been on a TV jag more than a reading jag. This is the kind of book that other formats can't do because it's someone's right. head mm-hmm. thinking. And yeah. even with all the voiceover in the world, you're not going to get this because there's a lot of like even internal thinking about her own thinking that mm-hmm. is a mess to try to represent in any way other than this. So not only is it exceptional in its representation, but as a medium, it's doing yeah, it's right. using the tool in a way that only, it, to do work that only that kind of a tool really can do. Um, at this point. Anything else from Front Los Foyer? So I'll take that as a um, a solid um, backup to my taste there, which is only not nearly the most important thing, but <laughs> it's also not at stake. It's not not at stake for me. Yeah. To be, to be completely um, I haven't finished anything else since I okay. read that, but I'm about halfway through Memphis by Tara M. Stringfellow, ah, which, which just came out. Yeah. yeah. I It wasn't like somehow it just wasn't on my radar. And then someone I follow on Instagram who's recommendations I trust mentioned that they liked it. I have started it. I think I'm in a jam with it. It's a multi-generational story about a family in the South. You get the kids' perspectives and the parents' perspectives. These are all components I really like, and the writing is really strong so far. So yeah. I'll report back next week. I read and finished this week two other two books. Um, one was Jhumpa Lahiri's Translating Myself and Others, her series mm. of essays about the, her translation process. I was really looking forward to this because I – after reading it now, I feel even worse saying this, but I'm going to say it because it's what I felt and whatever. But like, why so much translation, Lahiri? I want your book, mm. your story. I got a, a, a recent one where I really liked a very small book. And I was like, oh, yeah, I really like this. We reread Interpretive Maladies a while ago. I was like, oh, man, this is one of my favorite voices. Why spend so much time translating Italian novels rather than writing your question. own book? And from a reader of Lahiri as a fan of Lahiri, that's what I want. And so I was really interested to hear her. I did the audiobook, which was read by someone else, which is fine. But I always want the author to read memoirs and nonfiction essays. But that's, you know, a standing complaint <laughs> or ask, request. Let's put it charitably for me, which is what I'm trying to do all the time. Anyway, <laughs> um, and I think I got that answer. Okay. And it's, I don't think it's any more complicated than she kind of likes translation. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I guess I <laughs> could People like doing things. People that they like, like doing, doing things, but she really likes... Um, you know, she thinks of herself as in between, which is interesting. I'd never put this together, but it's right there mm. on the tin of her first book, Interpreter of Maladies, of translating, yeah. you know, trying to turn one thing into other, make meaning out of something. Um, I think she likes the process. I think she likes, um, you know, the actual work of working with language directly. Um, chapter four, if, if you're interested in the essay where she talks most directly about this, get it from your library and read chapter four. The rest you... The rest is interesting, but unless you want to read an essay about, you know, translating one particular part of Horace's odes from Latin into Italian and then into English, 
I can hang there with the t- with the best of them, Rebecca, as you know, in situations mm-hmm. like this. And even I was like, okay, all right. And audio is maybe not the best way to be looking okay. at translations like side by yeah. side um, because I don't speak Italian or Latin. And so it's just like a couple of paragraphs of someone narrating to me a language I don't understand and doing a close reading of that thing I didn't understand. It's kind of a tough audiobook hang as much as I love audiobooks. But chapter four was really very good. And it told me a lot. And I'm super happy that she likes doing it. I retain. I, I, I would remain sort of sad that there aren't three or four more unaccustomed mm-hmm. earth namesakes, interpreter maladies. Same. Um, but that's selfish and that's okay. <laughs> but I'm also not cracking on anybody. That's not what I'm trying to do. Yeah. It's interesting. I can see that people like to do things. Um, and mm-hmm. she's found it comfortable. She really likes to teach translation. Um, it is, translation is in its own way, like, the most direct use of close reading you can find. That's right? true. And yeah. that I, I, when she said something to that effect, I was like, oh, it's like a, it's like language puzzles. And then my mm-hmm. dopamine starts firing. Right? <laughs> um, so that part I really get artistically. It's a little less clear to me if it has an artistic function. I think she wants some of these books she translates to be available in English, which is noble. It, it definitely is. Um, translating her own work from Italian into English herself is also a strange thing that she talks about. Very strange. It's a, it's a very strange thing. And I, I come away understanding a little bit, but also realizing that I don't need to understand. She likes doing it. Um, so that's Lahiri. I also read, um, as, as threatened, I read Trillions by Robin Wigglesworth, which is a history of the index fund. So I finished that this week too. And how was that? Look, $7 trillion in assets can't be wrong. A trillion here and a trillion there. You're talking about real money, Rebecca. A trillion here and a trillion there. Good show title. (laughs) A problem we'll never have. I finished it in one day. Oh, wow. I thought it was really interesting. Anyway, um, I'm not going to recommend that either. (laughs) I had forgotten that it was about index funds. And I really thought you were about to tell me you read a history of index cards. And I was ready to believe it. (laughs) Wait, let me see. I got to Google real quick. What's it called? Playing by the ruled? No, I'm kidding. That's the title oh. I just made up. Um, <laughs> that was Trillions should, by Robin Wigglesworth. <laughs> we gotta. We should end this before it gets any worse. <laughs> I know. We have to go record a whole other thing about random book deals. It's going to go super great. Can be right on. <laughs> we're going to stay right on the rails the whole time. Putting the uh, putting the Patreon recordings right after the regular show <laughs> recordings is like the best decision we ever yeah. made because we're so punchy and loose. It's a recipe point. for silliness. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Uh, as always, you can find show notes, bookriot.com slash listen. You can email us, podcast at bookriot.com. Little birdies about whether or not Reese, Jenna, Oprah, NBCC, NBA, Penn Faulkner, they take they wet their beak a little for the sticker, the right to the sticker. Be interesting to know that. Um, Patreon.com slash bookriotpodcast. I've got some I've got some real winners for Rebecca too. <laughs> be really, be gobsmacked so by and to be also <laughs> dumbfounded that I could find them interesting in the slightest. And a oh, couple great. I think I got one for Bob, which is unusual. I got oh, a Bob. Oh, okay. So All right. that's a teaser for you that you're gonna hear in about ninety <laughs> seconds. Thank you all so much for listening. Enjoy the summer. I hope it's summering for you. I hope you're finding some respite and opening up and relaxation even as things are difficult and we get bad news. Go fight the good fight in the way that you can fight it. We'll talk to you later.